Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development at QIC, and each Monday morning we join the Liquid Markets Group market meeting to get the latest update across all traded markets. Good morning, team. It is Tuesday, the 4th of August, and following New South Wales Bank holiday, we start the day learning that Melbourne has the world's most stringent lockdown measures. With large impacts across key drivers of the Victorian economy, including the vital construction industry, with impacts expected across the Australian economy. These local developments, of course, followed news out of Europe last week, with the Eurozone economy recording the deepest contraction on record in its second quarter, led by Italy and France, but also involving the engine of Germany. And amongst all this, we are now three months to the day out from US elections. That is, if President Trump doesn't get his delay ways. Stuart, can I please bring to the conversation update us on the main themes from last week as we hit a staggering 18 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 globally and near 700,000 deaths. Would you mind also updating us, please, on those currency markets and how they're reacting to the latest news? Thanks, Craig. Yeah, it was an uneven performance from risk assets last week with quite a bit of regional variation, but it did mark another week of gains on Wall Street, which have extended overnight. There were three primary pieces of good news for U.S. equities in particular. Uh, firstly, you've had that inflection point in the number of new COVID infections with the seven-day average of new infections and level of hospitalizations rolling over, led by those populous states that really defined what was termed the second wave. That's Florida, California, and Texas. Secondly, we've had the Federal Reserve meeting where once again, the overriding sentiment is one whereby the Federal Reserve is singularly focused on maintaining extremely accommodative financial conditions with no apparent sensitivity to inflation showing up in financial assets. And thirdly, there's the blockbuster earnings reports from the mega cap growth stocks, which continue to exhibit a level of exceptionalism in corporate performance. And it's this Exceptional corporate performance that's also helped to support the US dollar in the last couple of trading sessions after the euro had rallied for 13 of the prior 15 days. Uh, there is certainly a growing investor narrative around the prospects for a major trend lower for the big dollar, citing a number of influences, including uh, an increasingly accommodative and proactive Federal Reserve alongside what is a lost yield advantage, both in real and nominal terms, which the US enjoyed for so long. And we've also had America's woeful experience through containing the pandemic, leading to a more challenging and extended recovery. Um, massive fiscal deficits and the perception that government spending in the US has become unanchored. Uh, we've, had, we've got the uncertainty of November's presidential election and the possibility of a contentious transfer of power in the event of a Biden victory. And uh, lastly, expensive valuation from the US dollar and a decade of US asset outperformance that has left investors overweight. And recall at the start of the year, there were a number of pillars of US exceptionalism that supported the dollar across higher US yields, exceptional economic growth, and exceptional corporate performance. And arguably, we're now down to one pillar supporting the dollar, which is that corporate performance. Although as a bonus, and this is particularly relevant for Australian investors, the US dollar is expected to remain a safe haven in more adverse market conditions. 
and the euro has become a favoured long from investors, supported by improving domestic fundamentals, including, of course, that political breakthrough represented by the agreement around the recovery fund. Thanks, Jordan. Of course, everyone's waiting to hear from Joe Biden as to who his VP will be, so uh, one to watch there as well. Robert, could I bring you to the conversation, please? This morning, we also had news that the NASDAQ had surged to a record high close on Monday as it rebounded on a few big deals, including Microsoft's planned acquisition of TikTok's US operations. The outperformance of the tech is probably the biggest headline in equities at the moment. Can you break this down for us and why the market is reverting around this increased M&A opportunity? Could you also please update us on those precious metals and how they're tracking at the moment? Sure, Craig. Yeah, I mean, you're spot on there. The NASDAQ finished the week up uh, a little over 5% at 5.5%. And that was really driven by three major stocks. So you had Apple, which is actually up 7.5%, uh, Facebook up 9 and Microsoft up 76 Interestingly, Google is pretty much flat on the week, despite the positive reporting last week that we saw. More broadly in the global markets, we've seen um, the FTSE and the Euro stocks both actually underperforming. They're off around 1.5% over the week, and the Aussie market was pretty flat. In terms of what's happening in the volatility markets, we actually, uh, the VIX has managed to get back down to the level that we've seen as a low in the post-COVID um, market, which is around about 24 volatility points. As you mentioned too, precious metals continue their upward momentum uh, on the back of strong momentum as well as um, concerns about money printing. Uh, gold was up 3.5% on the week, uh, bringing its performance since the beginning of July to 9 9.5%. But I guess in the bigger news, silver, which has actually uh, rallied 6.7% last week and bringing its sort of month month and a bit performance uh, up to around 37, uh, sorry, 31% uh, over the month. So really big uh, rally there in silver. And Rob, are you seeing much impact to those fear indices such as the VIX with regards to the, you know, continuing sort of, uh, I suppose, battle between good and bad news in the market? Well, I guess it's sort of reflected in the fact that uh, we've seen volatility continue to drop on the back of lower realised volatility. So I guess in terms of where you would say, and a lot of these fear indexes are actually related to some kind of measure of implied volatility, they're at sort of post-COVID lows. So 24 vol has pretty much been the floor that we've managed to see post-March, April. And it'll be interesting to see from here whether we actually continue to see it fall away or we actually see a spike back, which is what we've uh, seen every single time uh, in, over the last couple of months. Thank you, Robert. Uh, Beverly, uh, could we please uh, get an update with regards to monetary and fiscal policy around fixed income, sovereign bonds and inflation? Uh, there's been some large moves in real yields of late. Um, can we get an update from you, please, on the global stage there? Yeah, hi, Craig. Um, look, nominal bond markets are still very subdued. So this has been a story um, for several months now and not much really changing in the world of, of nominal bonds. Although yields did drift a little bit lower over the course of last week and now are at 
the lower end of their trading ranges over the past few months. So this story is pretty well known. Um, we know that you know central banks in particular are really suppressing volatility in that market. We have an environment very anchored front end yields and expectations of years at the lower cash rate bound um, and obviously QE programs as well. So all of that subdued price action um, is is a is a story we've been saying for a while. Um, but that price action in nominal markets is really um, in contrast to what we're seeing in other parts of fixed income. Um, and as you mentioned there, the moves in real yields and, and inflation markets are really starting to get a lot more attention. Um, and we've seen some quite material moves over the course of the last few months. So this week, um, we actually recorded a new record low uh, in US real yields. So the US 10-year real yield actually hit minus 1%. And that's after starting this year in positive territory. So that's quite an impressive move. And that sort of move in real yields happening alongside nominal yields going sideways is particularly unusual. So that's not normal correlations that we're, we're used to seeing in these markets. And I think that move in real yields has really caught a lot of people off guard. Um, and the market focus now is really shifting to whether or not these moves can keep going um, at these historically extreme levels. Um, so, you know, with nominal yields anchored, um, for us it makes sense that real yields are moving lower here in an environment where other risky assets are performing quite well. Um, the other side to that equation, of course, is is um, what we're seeing in break-even markets, and obviously that's that's the other side of what's happening in in the real yield moves. So, 10-year inflation break-evens um, have moved from just over half a percent, um, is, which is where the 10-year break-even was in March, um, and that's moved up over 100 basis points, um, and we're now back to pre-COVID levels. So that's a very impressive recovery in inflation markets. And we're certainly seeing a bit more of a buzz um, in these markets. We're seeing inflows into TIPS funds. They've risen very sharply over the last couple of months as well. Um, we've obviously got the Fed in buying these assets. So that's been very supportive. But there's just this general theme. And as Rob mentioned, um, it is flowing through. We're seeing it in other asset classes like precious metals. So there's some very similar themes coming here in markets. And it's obviously not actual inflation um, that's driving this because we've 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 seen actual inflation prints recently, and they've been they've been very weak. Um, but you know what? So what is it that the market's saying here? Um, well, where we are right now in inflation is pretty much a, a very important inflection point. We've recovered all of those pre-COVID. Uh, losses. So the market is now saying that we're getting going to be getting back to some sort of pre-COVID normal inflationary environment. Um, what we don't have yet is the market moving to that new range. And we certainly think, you know, that's the question that I think is going to be quite interesting for markets from here is, are we not only going back to a normal inflation environment, but has this new, as, as Stu mentioned, you know, the breakout of fiscal policy globally, um, is that now going to take us to a new inflation rage? And I think, you know, that's certainly a prospect and a, a probability that we think markets should be putting some probability on. Um, and so we think those inflation um, moves can keep going. Um, but I think, you know, it's certainly a very interesting time for markets, given that we're now at this very important inflection point in inflation markets. And Bev, just very quickly, uh, the news that came out of Melbourne over the weekend with regards to the new restrictions, do you expect any reaction from the central bank there with regards to potential QE? 
So the RBA is meeting today. Uh, expectations are pretty low. Uh, I mean, obviously they will they will be sounding um, you know very downbeat and dovish. You know, given the new news on the lockdown and the inevitable, what will be quite a significant economic impact from that. Um, I have heard, you know, just very recently some rumours in the market building that it might be enough to warrant another rate cut. Um, I'm not sure that that's the case. I think, you know, the RBA is very clear that, you know, right here and now, the absolute best that they can do is to provide as much support for the, for the, the government to provide the necessary fiscal um, support for as long as necessary. And we've already seen in the last 24 hours some new measures being announced with pandemic um, relief and potentially upgrades to the JobKeeper program in Victoria. So it's just an ongoing story for us that, you know, it's it's obviously disappointing to see those COVID developments and we are going to get, um, you know, more economic weakness on the back of that. But as long as the fiscal response is there and to go along with it, the central bank support, um, then I think in, you know, overall market sentiment can remain, remain relatively buoyant. Thanks, Beverly. Uh, Paul, uh, we might go off to uh, Europe, the UK and emerging markets, that's okay. Last week you highlighted the flows that are coming out of the emerging markets. Can you please bring us up to speed on the latest that is occurring there? And also, with regards to Europe, I mentioned in my introduction some of the latest news coming out there with regards to that contraction. What's driving this? Yeah, thanks, Craig. Um, essentially, what, what we've heard of, um, you know, Stu, Rob and Bev already is this, you know, traditional reflation theme that's been playing out through the whole of July, continued right through the end of last week. Main beneficiaries, obviously, of that weak dollar um, is, you know, it curtails the cost of capital around the world, lifts inflation expectations. So that's when, um, you know, inflation break-evens get very exciting. I think gold, like Rob said, or, you know, the, the weakness in the dollar right across the board, I, that's come through to Europe. Um, certainly, I think this, uh, the, the euro buoyancy is potentially set to continue for the main reasons. Um, as, as Stu mentioned, you know, we had that fiscal package, you know, that fiscal uh, impetus driven by political cohesion is something that we haven't seen in Europe for quite some time. We've got a very strong monetary policy back in there uh, with very stable uh, quantitative easing programs and uh, essentially a, a very accommodative uh, traditional monetary policy position. Um, add on top of that the COVID situation, as we remember, you know, Europe was hit harder and perhaps probably deep in terms of contraction. However, with the leading indicators, we're starting to see Europe showing signs of actually coming out a little bit quicker. And as an offshoot of that, you know, that's essentially the same drivers that are, you know, driving um, emerging markets at the moment, um, where it's really very much flow led. It's very much a carry play. It's very much this reflation play that's going through. And uh, we actually haven't seen a huge amount of demand in terms of uh, flows back into emerging market debt, which is why we, we personally think, you know, that, that there's some value there still. I think once those flows start to come back, um, that, will, that will be the case. And, you know, at around 450 bips over at, a, at an index level remains quite attractive. But um, some light at the end of the tunnel there in terms of, you know, what we saw 
on an idiosyncratic basis last week in terms of, you know, even though Turkey had some very serious issues, you know, COVID remains quite quite problematic. We also saw some light at the end of the tunnel in terms of South Africa's deal with the IMF. We had Sri Lanka with their swap lines to India. Um, so it remains quite a buoyant market. The primary market remains quite open. And so essentially um, quite a strong performance in July. And we would expect that reflation theme to continue to, to elevate that asset class going forward. Thanks, Paul. There's always idiosyncratic examples in those markets, but of course, diversification is the name of the game there to get access to that yield you highlighted. Thanks for the update there. We might now switch gears into the micro credit and earnings update. Mareka, can I please ask you to join us? And firstly, congratulations to the team on capturing that A-plus score for the PRI assessment across the fixed income categories, uh, highlighting those, uh, those commitments we've got to ESG research at QIC. But I want to get into the markets because they've also been murmuring that uh, COVID is creating some false profits for this earnings season. Can I please get you to update us where we are in regards to US and Europe, please, Mareka? Certainly. Thanks, Craig. Well, in the US, we're about two thirds of the way through for the second quarter earnings season. And Craig, the summary is that the numbers are really weak, like you'd expect, but corporate activity has been very credit friendly. Consensus estimates were more pessimistic than the actual numbers that we're seeing. So you've had earnings beat ratio sitting at around 84%. That's 15% above average. So that's why you're seeing shares and bonds rallying on beats. So by the end of this week, we'll be 90% through the US reporting season. And if we move to Europe, we're about halfway through the reporting season. We had HSBC out last night and they posted a first half miss. Their profit fell to 5.6 billion US dollars. And why they're interesting is they're going for their predicting some commercial losses and they're attributing that to the US-China tensions. It's impacting their Asian expansion plans. The other one that was interesting last night was Society Generale. Sokgen reported their second consecutive loss and it had a lot of one-offs in it. And I sort of alluded earlier to credit-friendly activities in reporting season and why Sokgen's interesting is you're really seeing that sort of come through. Their losses have been on derivatives that they've written that have been linked to dividend payouts and they've lost because those dividend payouts have been cancelled. They also had a few loan provisions. So that's really weighed on what otherwise look like some good underlying results there. And then finally, if we move to Australia, we're just starting to get the annual reporting season underway. So we've got six companies this week in the ASX 200. And you started with Bunnings Warehouse Trust this morning. Now, they've beaten even the highest estimate. Their revenue's only fallen 0.3% on the year, and their net income's been up 24%. Now, you mentioned sort of the Victorian shutdowns, and Bunnings Warehouse Trust may need to give some rent abatements, some more deferrals going forward, but they're starting from a better place than the market was expecting. Thank you, Mareka, for that micro update. Uh, thank you, team, for your contributions today and those latest market updates and insights. Whilst we all watch with wide eyes the continuing run of the NASDAQ and precious metals pricing, today our ears will be tuned into the RBA and will it react to the latest lockdown measures with monetary responses? Thank you for listening to us on QPod this morning and have a super week ahead.